We are marching along in the book of Judges. As I shared earlier, my name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And um, I love the book of Judges. I love how bloody and messy and confusing it can be. I love that I've never heard a sermon on Judges until I started preaching them. So I feel uh, like it's like, you know, first try. I have nothing to compare it to. Because Judges is one of those things you kind of go, I'm not sure how to preach about all of these crazy judges and all of this violence that is going on. They all build together. Remember, the book of Judges is the judges are getting worse every time they show up. You get a new one, he's worse than the one before him, and worse and worse and worse. And we're kind of at that turning point where they're going to get really bad. You know, part of my seminary research was uh, larger churches, their size, their structure, their leadership, I like churches of all sizes, uh, but I'm always interested in, of course, what I would call the megas. Um, The world has a fascination with large churches, too, not always for the same reasons that I do, but one of their fascinations is on how their leaders fall. So you probably have listened to podcasts or watched documentaries on poorly run churches, it's all the rage, or poorly run families who are connected to large churches or church movements. Like everyone loves to learn about how churches fall apart and how leaders destroy churches, unhealthy leaders destroying healthy churches. And as one of those, I had watched all the people who were in it at that point in time, all the people who were giving stories about this church, they basically, at the end of it, of course, this is all edited to communicate as much, but it was, they all said that they're kind of done with God. They said, my experience was so bad in church, in this leadership, with this structure, I just don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. I don't have anything to do with it anymore. I bet even in this room, we have people who have experienced the hurt of leaders. Uh, We all walk with some kind of wound in some kind of way, but the hurt of leaders is a unique kind of hurt. And you might ask the same question, where's God? How would that have happened? Why did it go like this? Why did it go like that? And in this sermon, I'm not going to be able to answer every single question, but I will say this. And the story that we are in today is going to demonstrate as much. God has the last word when his leaders don't follow in his ways. God is the one who is ultimately vindicated. God is the one who works out his end even in a bad season. So we have, remember, Abimelech, Jotham, the one that you were reading about. Jotham's a a brother of Abimelech. And Jotham is giving a story there, kind of in the middle of where we'll be today. We're actually going to be in Judges 8.33 through 10.5, what happens here is the inevitable result of moving toward kingship for the nation in a way that God had not prescribed. Now, you have to remember, you have to kind of put on your Old Testament history brain, God knew that his people were going to have a king. He created provisions in the law for how kings were to operate So it wasn't as if the nation of Israel was to never have a king, but they had to pursue that in the right way. And what we have is often the pursuit in the wrong way. Abimelech was not a king, but man, did he want to be. He was somebody who tried to lead and tried to rule, but we see in this story the inevitable results, and really, from Gideon to Abimelech, his son, 
uh, from another woman. From Gideon to Abimelech, we see this kind of fissure erupt in the book of Judges. And from this point on, it is just more and more and more and more darkness. In fact, next week is Family Sunday, so anybody uh, three years and up, if you're, we've made the service, kind of geared it more toward the kids, and in Family Sunday, we get to talk about child sacrifice. So, not kidding, right? We're talking about parents killing their kids. Um, you thought Dad was just joking, but it's in Judges. So we'll even be in that as we just see just how dark things have become in the story of the Judges. But this, this break, this tear, it starts at the beginning, but we see between Gideon to Abimelech, it just gets worse and worse from this point on in the story. So Judges 8.33 through 10.5, what you'll see after this, even in this interesting story, there's no enemy. There's no outside enemy. The enemy's from within. There's no peace that comes on the land. There's no joy. There's just battle and infighting. That's all that begins to show up here in this story. And so we'll move through this in a, in a couple of moments. But what we're going to have is like one, it's going to be one big idea that then has several results that ends with God's deliverance. Okay, so like one, one big thing that goes on and it results in multiple bad things. But then the final thing is God gets the last say. The last say is actually spoken up through Jotham, and it ends in this story that we'll have with Abimelech's head getting crushed by a millstone. So here's the big idea. Uh, forgetting God's deliverance, deliverance, what he has done for his people, sets the table for trouble, 833 through 35. Now, now look at 833 through 35, which your Bibles might have at the death of Gideon story, but if you actually consider it as a part of Abimelech, what you're going to see is what happens when Gideon leaves. Remember, Gideon had this great kind of faithful beginning. God called him out of his kind of idolatry, gave him faith test, and then we get into chapter 7, and in chapter 7, good things begin to happen, and there is victory, and then in chapter 8 in Gideon's story, he starts to try to claim some of the glory and some of the credit, and his downfall is inevitable. He says, I don't want to be your king, but I'm going to have a child named my, my, my father as king, right? Like, that's a wink-wink, I do want to be your king, is what he's doing even in that. So now we get to see what the reign of my father as king is like. It's kind of the Gideon story part two, the inevitable outcome of leading in your own strength. Forgetting God's deliverance sets the table for trouble. Verse 33 of chapter 8. As soon as, as soon as Gideon died. If you are a Bible marker, you can just go ahead and mark that. There is not even one moment of peace. As soon as Gideon died, the people are like, finally, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Berit their God, which is an interesting name, God of the Covenant. God of the Covenant. Baal of the Covenant is who they now make their God. This whole story linguistically is a mockery of Baal. In fact, Gideon is only called Jerubbabel throughout, which is let Baal contend. He's not called Gideon. You all see these little comments from the editor, right? Like, like that is Gideon, right? That kind of the person writing it adds, you know, now Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, don't forget who that is, but calling Gideon Jerubbabel throughout the story to make a mockery of Baal who never has the last say. And so Gideon dies, the people go after God of the covenant, little g, God of the covenant, and they did not remember the Lord their God. That's the problem. 
They did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side and they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbabel, there you go, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. As soon as, it means it was not casual. Some of us know how to do this. We know how to put on a happy face until the person who we need to put on the face for is gone. And so as soon as he's gone, there is now even more freedom to run in their idolatry. They moved to God of the covenant and set that up as their God. And they forgot deliverance that came through the hand of Yahweh, their one true God. That's what they forget. This is not, the book of Judges is not just a a book about failed obedience, which certainly happens. The reason there is failed obedience is because what they should be remembering is always forgotten. When they don't remember what God's done for them, and they can't recall what God's done for them, and they've run after other gods, and what begins to happen, the inevitable result is you're not going to obey God when he asks you to do anything because you have no thought or or reflection on his good character. I mean, so I'll make a, a little jump for how we think about this even today. Like, you can't walk with the, God, with the Lord only showing up here on Sunday and hope that I'm gonna, just going to fill up your tank enough that you can then get through the next six days after and then come back on Sunday and get filled up again. That's not going to work. If we try and do that, then all we're trying to do is, is get enough and then actually put no regular habit patterns and disciplines of considering and remember, reading about, praying to. If, if this is it, if this is it, then we lose. And we lose because you can't bank on remembering for 75 minutes a week to carry you through every day. It is a regular habit of reading God's word, being with God's people, speaking of what the Lord has done, praying to the Lord, reminding your own heart of his goodness, reminding yourself of what he has said and what he has spoken. Because when you lose what he has done, which is always the accusation that is brought, when the angel comes, when the prophet comes, when anybody comes and rebukes the Israelites in the book of Judges, they are rebuking that they have forgotten you didn't obey my voice, but it's always this, this piece of, I'm the God who. And then, and you have not done what I've asked. So this is both know who God is and what God's done for you. But if you wander from that, obedience is not going to happen. It's a feigned obedience to look good for the people who might be around you. Now, what you're going to begin to see as this happens is there is no external enemy. Remember this course of the judges is they do something bad, they forget God, God raises up some kind of uh, nation or enemy, that enemy oppresses for some amount of time, and then the people cry out. That has been a pretty consistent theme that we have seen. In the Abimelech story, that doesn't happen. The enemy is within It's the people who should be God's people who are actually causing the issue for God's people. The rain isn't long, but the damage is mighty. So what does this condition of forgetting God result in? 
What does it result in? Well, this is where we're going to begin to see what happens. When you forget God, when you forget how he has saved, when you forget what he has done, when you forget that he has delivered, when you forget that he is good, when you forget that he fights the battles, when you forget all of those things, what begins to happen? Craziness. Here's one result that you begin to see. You see the, the rise of oppressive leadership, oppressive, selfish leadership. I call him the Bramble King because that's how Jotham speaks about him. Like, who wants to go find shade under a thorn bush? Like, you know what would really help me right now? If I just put this thorn bush above my head. Or if you've ever driven, like, into New Mexico, and you're just, you just, the wind is whipping across your vehicle every time, and tumbleweed comes across, and if you're lucky enough, you hit it like we do. We always seem to find the tumbleweed that's going across the interstate. I just, I don't look at that and go, you know what that is? Great shelter. That's great. In fact, if we could just build a house of, of tumbleweed and bramble and thorns and thistles, everybody would be better for it. And yet, when you forget God, you start to make stupid decisions. And so what happens here is Abimelech seizes the moment. He has no concern about God. He has concern for himself. And so he's going to insert himself into a little part of the nation's history, starting in chapter 9, verse 1. Now, Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem. Shechem's a pretty historical place. A lot of covenant renewal, a lot of story happens at Shechem. Went to his mother's relatives and said to them, and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember that I'm also your bone and your flesh. Do you hear the manipulation that is going in there? Do you hear the angling that is happening even in that commentary? Now, he was born from a concubine. Remember, Gideon had a concubine, and that's where Abimelech came. He also has brothers that Gideon had with other women. We talked about how Gideon was like, I don't want to be a king, but I'm going to act like one. I'm going to act like a foreign king. I'm going to have a lot of wives. I'm going to have a lot of kids. I'm going to have a lot of concubines because that's where, that's where my strength is seen in the generations that come after me. So Abimelech, who's a little bit kind of outside the realm because he's born to a concubine, he's not really a part of the family in the same kind of sense. And so he goes to mom and says, hey, what re- just, just ask him what's better, to have all of these sons rule over you or one? Now, don't forget, I'm your son. I'm your son. So he plays favorites and he plays politician in one quick comment to his mom. This, of course, ends up happening. Now look at what happens as he does this. His mother's relatives spoke, verse 3, to all these words on behalf of the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he's our brother. Foolish thinking. Again, forgotten God. That's the accusation that's already, they have forgotten God. And so when they get a bad idea, they go, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a phenomenal idea. This is what our sin does to us. Where we go, you know what? I think sin would be great right now. I think, I think it makes a lot of sense to forsake my family and to forsake my wife and just go on with somebody else. It makes a lot of sense to cheat, to lie to be dishonest. It makes sense right now. My friends are doing it. Other people are doing it. It just, it sounds good. It doesn't sound good. 
There is no voice, there is no person, Jotham a little bit, who is actually speaking up into the moment to say, eh, this is not what we should be doing. That's where the condition of the land is like at this point. Now look at what happens. They say, he's our brother. They gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house, the temple, the place of worship for Baal Barit, for God of the covenant, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. So his entourage is bad. But when you have forgotten God, what begins to happen? You just want to find somebody who's going to get it done. Hey, let's just get it. We need to see results. Abimelech is ready to get results. And you know what? It doesn't matter if he's a worthless fellow hanging out with worthless fellows. Let's give him money from the false god temple, right? Let's give him idolatry money to accomplish what he wants to accomplish because this is better for us. So result one, the rise of oppressive leadership, the Bramble King. Result two is then what inevitably comes from that, which is destruction and unceasing, unending conflict. When you appoint a bad leader because you've forgotten God, the leader's going to lead badly. We get the math, but we still do it. So they appoint somebody, paid for with idolatry money, to lead them, and he just hires a bunch of worthless fellows to come and lead the people out of Shechem. It is, as I would say to my kids, redonkulous. But let's just move through some of the things that begin to happen when the people of Shechem think a bramble king is better than their God. His family, Abimelech's family, is murdered. Verse 5. He went to his father's house, Ophrah, and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel. Seventy men on one stone. Circle that word stone. It's going to come back. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left and he hid himself. And the leaders of Shechem came together and all at Bet Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. So the first thing he does, the first thing he does is kill his family. This is like Julius Caesar stuff, right? Like before Julius Caesar. This is, this is the only way to get power is to kill anybody who has a claim to power. So let's go ahead and do it. Everybody, except for Jotham, but I don't think Jotham's like super noble, but he does get to play the foil here. Everybody thinks this is a good idea. Now, when I talk to people who are deep in sin, and praise the Lord, it doesn't happen all the time. But it wouldn't be common, you probably experience this too, where people will say to you something like, I don't know how it got this bad. I don't know how we got here. I, I, like, I, I, it was really just one look at the computer, and then two years later, it is just, I am, I am ensnared. I, 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 it was really just, it was really just one dishonest move on my taxes. It was really just taking the over one time. Like, that's all I wanted, just one time. And now I have no money. I have debt collectors out to find me. Like, and they go, how did, how did I get here? It's like this. When you forget the goodness of God, 
the salvation of God, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, the character of God, the sacrifice of Christ who loved you and gave himself for you, when we forget that, murder's aight. That's fine. Let's go. Like, like, if that gets my end of leading these people, let's go for it. Now, you heard Jotham's speech and what Patrick read as we began. What Jotham begins to do is he runs away. He goes to Mount Gerizim, which is very close to Shechem. But he runs away, and he he gathers the people, and he says, hey. And he runs through scenarios. And basically, the theme of that parable, which he tells, parable isn't only told by Jesus. The parable that he tells is, everybody wanted to function, every tree wanted to function in their intended purpose. My purpose is here. I give shade. I give wine. I do this. And so, no, I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing so that I can do this. This all builds to the point of Abimelech. And so they went to the bramble. They went to the thorn bush and said, you, you reign over us. Verse 15 of chapter 9. The bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. Irony of ironies, no shade. There's no shade. But the, the, uh, the everybody goes over and says, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. The trees are looking for a king, and so they get the bramble to be that. But if you aren't doing this nobly, then let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Jotham then says what you're doing. He then goes into it in 16 through 21 where he says, all right, here's the deal. If you've actually set up Abimelech nobly, then great, all is well. He knows this isn't the case. All his brothers are dead. If you, set, if you set him up nobly, everything's fine, all is well, no big deal. But if that's not the case, if, if by chance this wasn't an honest endeavor that you have just gone on, then let fire consume you and let fire consume him. And then he kind of leaves the scene. What he speaks about doesn't leave. But what he does then is kind of leave the scene. So as we think about just that, right? What happens when we forget God? We, we set up bad leaders. Leaders lead in bad ways. We might even be rebuked by it. But the people aren't even concerned. We look for the wrong kind of people. We look for the wrong kind of results. A guy with a bunch of bad friends can get a lot done can accomplish a whole lot. But it's not good. It's not God-honoring. It's not hopeful. It's just stuff done. It results actually in death and destruction and conflict. You'll be surprised here as we'll get toward the end of the story. This isn't really that long of a reign So with this happening, it can become very easy to get hopeless, can't it? Like, let's assume you're the faithful one. You're the one faithful one, because it's always you, right? Or it's your spouse, probably. But like, let's assume one faithful one in the family. 
If this is all happening around you, what begins to happen? Well, you could be a doomsday prophet and go, here's the end, everything's terrible, it's all terrible. That's one way to go. Some of us like to do that. Some of us like to do that and we tell Facebook that. Everything's terrible. This is exactly the world that I thought it was going to be. It's just falling apart. It's unraveling. It's not like it was back in my day. All of those things that we begin to do. It forgets. That perspective forgets what will inevitably be the result of any non-God-ordained way, which is God wins. God's vindication comes. That's the ultimate result of anything that we see, and we'll see it quite clearly here. The ultimate result of the Abimelech story is God's vindication over this entire situation. And there are multiple things that happen as we begin to get to 22. In my Bible here, it's called the downfall of Abimelech. Maybe that's what yours says as well. But look at verse 22. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. This has to be the most brutal three years. Like, like these aren't even dog years. These aren't any years. These are three years of terrible, brutal, oppressive, everybody wants you dead, let's just knock this thing out kind of leadership. This is not long. Three years. Now look what happens God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Now let's just stop right there, verse 23. It again shows God's power over the scenario. Abimelech has led in an unjust, unloving, unkind, wrong way, and God is going to have the last word. And the beginning of that is, we're going to make it really hard for Abimelech to lead. There will be dissension now between the leaders of Shechem and Abimelech. Now, everyone reads this, and like, these types of stories in Scripture do not happen all the time. We might read this and go, oh my gosh, is this happening to me right now? I had a fight with my spouse. Like, is this, is this what's happening? Is there, like, am I being disobedient? I'm not. We can really read ourselves into this and not just read what's going on. God is going to have the last word in Abimelech's story. And it begins with conflict with the very people that he wanted to lead. And this is God's doing. Why? Because these are God's people. And ultimately, he is not going to let his people be ruled by a bramble king. So what begins to happen, verse 24, is they want to see the violence that was done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel. They want it might come and their blood laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them. And on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill. So the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was told to Abimelech. So they're going to set, like, marauding groups in to stop people. That's what begins to happen, right? So we're not, we're not, we're not fighting, like, flesh with the spirit, with the truth. We're just fighting flesh with flesh, Idiocy with idiocy, disobedience with disobedience. That is what is beginning to happen. The Shechemites are no better. They're like, hey, let's make this worse. Let's just go ahead and rob people. Well, then you get another worthless fellow on the scene in verse 26. Turn there in your Bibles, verse 26. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put their confidence in him. 
Where should our confidence be? Not in a man, not in a leader, but in the Lord Jesus. For the Israelites' confidence, it needs to be in the character and kindness and goodness of their God who delivered them out of Egypt. They should trust in him. But instead, Gaal, son of Ebed, moves in and the leaders of Shechem put their confidence in him. And they go have a party and they get drunk and he goes, you know what? We don't need to have anything to do with this Abimelech fella. It's better to have one of your own closer relatives lead you. Let's do that. All remove Abimelech. So they go to fight. Well, Abimelech had a buddy, Zebul, verse 30, who let him know what was coming. And so from 26, the introduction of Gaal, to 41, we have this story where Abimelech is let, like he's made aware there's going to be a fight. It's time to fight. They have an ambush. And so Abimelech's like, well, let's get together and let's fight these guys. So they do. And then they fight again because Abimelech wants to have the last word. He wants to use force. He wants to use his knowledge. He wants to use his position to try and accomplish something that God has not ordained to happen in the way that it is. So they fight. And Abimelech chases Gaal out. There's more fighting at harvest time, verses 42-ish through 45, 41 through 45, 42 through 45. After this battle, the following day, the people went out to the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set ambush in the fields, and he looked, and he saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he raised the city and sowed it with salt. He is making the land unproductive. This is not what a king does. A good king doesn't make the land unproductive. A good king doesn't kill his own people. We should know all of these things, but let's go back to the beginning of the story. They had forgotten what God had done for them. And when you wander wander from what God has done for you, bad ideas seem good. And it becomes about your kingdom and your world and your story and your ideas and how you can win and how you can have force and how you can fight. Now we have seen every story up to this point. We have recognized this common theme, which is let God fight. Let God fight. This was demonstrated in Gideon so thoroughly. 32,000 is too many, 10,000 is too many. Let's do 300. Let's give them torches and trumpets. I had a, a text from a friend last Sunday afternoon, him and his two kids, and they were doing this. Like, that was all. It was just him and his kids, torch and a trumpet. That's how Gideon took down the Midianites. So the demonstration that we have, you go before that to Deborah and Barak, and what is that? Gile with a tent peg crushes Cicero's skull. Victory comes. Victory had been promised through Deborah to Barak already. 
God brings these and there's peace in the land. There is no crying out in the Abimelech story. There is no oppressor from outside. It all comes from within. But God gets the last say, still. He runs to the tower of Shechem. Now look at this. Verses 46 through 49. This is not okay. He's bloodthirsty. Verse 46. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of El-Berit, which is God of the covenant. Abimelech was told all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Now look what he does. Abimelech went up to the mountain, he and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand, cut down a bundle of brushwood, and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. What do you think is going to happen? Everybody gets enough logs that they can carry, they cut them down, and they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem also died, about 1,000 men and women. This isn't an outside oppressor. This isn't a warring nation. God is absent. Abimelech doesn't care. His worthless friends don't care. Killing a 1,000 people for his own vindication is what he wants to do, but this isn't the end. In fact, in verse 50, he's going to do it again. He now has a new strategy. Scare people enough, they all gather in one place. They gather in one place, I can knock that one thing out. Be fine. But look at what happens. Now, remember the stone that happened where he killed his 70 brothers, knocked his brothers out? That was earlier in the story. Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes. He captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city. And all the men and the women and all the leaders of of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman, she's unnamed now, threw an upper millstone, would be lighter than the lower millstone, on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. You see how the thing that he killed his brothers on, a stone, comes back to kill him in the end? This is God's story. This is God's victory. These are God's people. Then he came quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed him. Well, guess what we're saying? And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. You see that even that theme between immediately after Gideon died, they began to go after other gods. Immediately after Abimelech died, they were like, all right, yeah, I guess that's it. Party's over. Now the summary in 60, uh, 20, 56 and 57. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the, the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. So we have this editorial comment, which is, 
exactly what happened when you set up the Bramble King happened. The people who established the king over them died, and the king died. This is what Jotham said would happen. Now, it would make sense then, it would make sense in all of this, there's no peace brought, there's just destruction, there's no peace, uh, there, there are no external enemies, and then it's almost like 10, 1 through 5, right there, it's like we know we need a breather. We can't take another one of these stories. We can't handle this yet. We're about to get it again. We can't handle it yet. So we get to hear about Abimelech, and we hear about Israel, or I'm sorry, Tola, who saves Israel. And he judged for 23 years. Well, that's a little bit longer than Abimelech's story. And he died. And then Jair the Gileadite, 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on donkeys, were on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities called Havoth Jair to this day, which were in Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Kamon. So we get five verses with no story, really, that span decades. And we have all of chapter 9 that spans three years. Because this is what happens when we submit to the authority of Bramble Kings and not the Lord. It goes badly for us. It would make sense just to say it like this, but like you, you, we should get it by now. Don't trust in Bramble Kings for your deliverance. Trust God. He's the only one that you can trust. Don't trust in those other sources, those other people. Right? You're only going to get a documentary or a podcast about you if that's the case. And for anybody, myself included, who's in leadership, guess what? You're not all that. If you're not helping people know, follow, walk with, and understand the character of God, and you're making it about your end, your goal, your claim, then you like to adorn yourself with a little bit of bramble. So for a people, we have to always be. God has leaders. God uses leaders, always. But when we trust in a leader who isn't the Lord Jesus to bring a deliverance that only Jesus can bring, we are going to be let down. And for those who are in leadership of any kind, if the end game is to make your kingdom or your platform or your status bigger and not the Lord's, Remember who gets the last word. Because it's not you. This stuff always gets exposed. Our sin, and it's God's grace, but it always gets exposed. We get found out. Three words for us in that are ideas. The first comes from that idea from Jotham, Jotham, which is this, take heart. And by take heart, this is what I mean. God's always working. God's always working. And it can be so hard for us to hold on to that, claim that, belong to that, love that, support that, believe that, when you got the bramble around. But we take heart because we know 
that God has the last word. And our Savior doesn't lead out of insecurity, and he doesn't lead out of a hunger and thirst for power. His vindication that will come in the last day for whatever sin you wish would have been more exposed, whatever thing, whatever harm, whatever, whatever that is, what God brings to the table to right all wrongs is going to be better than any personal vindication you try to bring. So take heart that he is working out something better than any kind of scheme you might have to make somebody feel really bad for their sin. Secondly, have humility. If you've trusted in your own power and you've tried to make life about you, your end, your aim, your hope, your heart, and you've amassed whatever kind of terrible friends you can to do just that, guess what? You can turn. You can turn. That's another thing we've seen throughout Judges is that when the people cry out in their oppression, God goes, all right. And even when, you'll see it next week where he says, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of your sin. I'm sick of your disobedience. I'm sick of it. And they're like, please, please, this one time. He's like, all right. Like, like, Like there's like this, like, I'm tired of seeing you in misery. Remember what we said early on in the series, God's disposition toward us is mercy. And so if you have found yourself walking in a way that is unbecoming of the way of Jesus, not by the Spirit, but in the flesh, guess what? You can turn. You can turn. Go back to him. Have the humility that clearly Abimelech didn't want to have. I mean, to his dying breath, he wants to come out the hero. Stab me so they say a woman didn't kill me. That's what I need right now. Thirdly, continue to hope. Hope carries us. It carries us. If we lose hope, be it about God's vindication, be it about the new heaven and the new earth, if we lose hope in what God is working out, we, we lose, in a sense, one of the best weapons we have against apathy, cynicism, anger, impatience, because we forgot that God is still working something out. In fact, you and I are still in the middle of the story. Abimelech, he's this blip over here. Jesus comes into this world and shows us what is right and dies for our sin and he rises and we have resurrection life because of that. And we're here waiting for his return where everything is made right. Through all the ways that we recognize failure and sin and ugliness, and all the things even within us that we wish weren't there will be removed and we will be resurrected with him. Don't lose hope because the story is not done. The work isn't done. 
God was working then and God is working now. And if we spend too much time listening to the noises of this world, we are going to think that it is hopeless. If we spend too much time listening to the voices of our friends or the algorithm, we will think everything is hopeless. Either that or everyone has a better life than we do, which also makes us hopeless. We have to listen to what God is doing, what God has spoken, and what God works out. And when we see that manipulation, coercion, bribery, backbiting, murder cannot thwart the plans of God, we should be confident in the character of God, trusting in his goodness and his kindness and his mercy toward us. That's what we get to see. That even these pockets in three years can do a lot of damage. But it's nothing God can't undo. It's nothing that he can't redeem.